Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Guidance is internal. Ignition sequence starts. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Permission to come aboard. Permission to board. Permission to bring me aboard. Permission to come aboard. Welcome to the Permission Granted Podcast. Here's D.A. Welcome inside the freshest edition of the Permission Granted Podcast, everybody. Thanks for being with us. PGP number 81. And this is the show within the show. The show about the show. The show around the show. This is all off-of-the-air goodness that you won't get by listening to the DA show on a normal basis on the radio. This is also available on its own iTunes feed. So if you're getting this from our website, daoncbs.com, or the normal DA show iTunes feed, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the DA show, if you just want to subscribe to the PGP, that's all good, too. Go to iTunes, search Permission Granted. You'll see our smiling faces and click on subscribe completely for free. And we would appreciate if you left a little feedback over there as well. You can rate it. It's a one star. That's fine. A zero star. That's fine. Five star. That's great. And then leave a little feedback as well. That way iTunes recognizes the brilliant job, the workmanlike job that we are doing here on the DA show. And it helps us get it to you easier when it comes up in search engine stuff like that that's how that itunes thing works well today we're gonna do a little mls all right don't don't turn off the pgp okay please hold, hold on don't go anywhere you guys know i'm a big soccer fan and i root for mls i'm a big soccer fan from when i grew up playing and transitioning into still playing in rec leagues what have you but also wanting our domestic league to be one of the best in the world. And it's made some significant strides. Also, I've worked in MLS. You know, I worked closely with the Wizards when they were the Wizards in Kansas City. When I was in Boston, I actually ended up being the sideline reporter for three seasons for the New England Revolution. I know a bunch of the guys in the New York Red Bulls and then have been a guest over at NYCFC. So the whole thing, you know, my life has taken me through all these stops through so many MLS uh, studios and facilities and stadiums and teams and gotten to know people. And one of the reasons I love MLS is because there's so many down-to-earth people, athletes, coaches, executives. It's not like the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball where guys are up on a a podium, up on a different level that you can't really talk to and you can't get to know. These are normal guys. One of the things I always loved about covering MLS was – They made as much as me. I mean, obviously the stars make more. And yes, there are plenty of tiers where they make more than the average guy. But then there's a tier of players in MLS, and you can look up their salaries, their public, that make 
the average Joe Schmo salary. I mean, there's some guys making $35,000 a year. Some guys making fifty or seventy-five or $90,000 a year. And because of that, they're normal dudes. So I, I just love that. And our next guest is just so much like that. This guy played in MLS for 15 years. But he's also now the reigning MLS coach of the year with the New York Red Bulls as they won the Supporter Shield, which is the best regular season record. They ended up in the Eastern Conference Finals and losing before MLS Cup. But I root for guys like this. I root for this league to work because I love our country, I love our sports, and I want MLS, our domestic league, to be as good as it can be. And Jesse Marsh is an accomplished guy. He knows the league, and now he's the reigning coach of the year. And yet, when you hear this interview, you'll see just how down-to-earth and real he is. So, if you're not a soccer fan, it's all good in the hood. You can fast-forward about 13 minutes. If you are a soccer fan, I think you're going to enjoy it. If you're just keeping an open mind and just want to hear a little bit of a preview of MLS season 2016, which is opening up now, just opened up this past weekend, I think you'll find this enjoyable because it's not so insulated to where you couldn't understand what we're talking about if you're not a soccer fan. I think it's it's a good conversation about the league in general and where it's going and the history of it and what it takes to win there. So hopefully you'll enjoy it. Jesse Marsh, head coach of the New York Red Bulls right now. Coach, how are you? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. How's it feel to have season number two just around the corner? Uh, it's, it seemed like the off season and preseason was really short, but uh, we're all excited to get going again. And, um, you know, once the season gets going, that's that's the fun time of year. Obviously, taking over the post of the Red Bulls, there was expectations. There was pressure because not only is it New York, but you had the new team in MLS coming in the same year. And Red Bulls fans had had some success the previous seasons as well. So when you took over the program, when you took over the franchise last year, where did you set your own expectations in year one? Yeah, I didn't I didn't put too many big goals in place. Um yeah, I'm, I'm a believer that in order to get to the ultimate goals that you have to put a daily process uh, in place and you have to have a way of working and talking and believing in each other. And, and so, you know, I, I knew I had a talented group, but I didn't spend much time thinking too much about what the, what the end result would be at the end of the year. Um, and I think that our players benefited from, from thinking about it, you know, that in that manner, instead of worrying about what, you know, what are the, what's going to be the end result. It's an interesting culture around the Red Bulls because obviously there's been a bit of an identity crisis over the 20 plus years, having been the Metro stars, having been in giant stadium, now being in New Jersey, a wonderful arena, but no MLS cups. And, and now you have NYC FC in the same market. What did you experience from Red Bulls supporters in your first season? Well, there were a lot of ups and downs. Uh, you know, when I uh, when I first joined, there was obviously a lot of anger because Mike Pecky had been let go. Uh, you know, he was a he was a fan favorite from a player perspective and a coaching perspective, and I understood that. You know, and I know and I know Mike, and I like Mike, and he's a good guy. Uh, you know, and so at first they didn't know me very well. They they weren't very convinced that I was the guy to be taken over. But I think over time, you know, as coaches, we're, we're ultimately judged by how our teams play. And I felt strongly that with the talent we had and that if we could build a mentality that every guy understood how to commit to the way we want to play and commit to each other, 
then then that the team would play well, and then ultimately then the fans would start to start to believe in me and the team. So, you know, that's that's pretty much what happened. And I think over time, actually, that a lot of fans now are are very appreciative of where this club's at, what the what the the movement of the club is, the overall mission, and the direction of where things are going. So. Uh, you know, it's not to say there won't be downtimes and there won't be some some negative opinions out there, but this is the reality of our job. And, and if you can't handle it, then you shouldn't be in this business. Well, you're right, Petke, a really popular guy. And so, when did you feel like you had kind of finally won over the crowd? Because as you mentioned, wasn't easy early, but luckily the team had a lot of success, and you guys won the supporter shield, and so that eases some of that tension. But when did you feel like, oh, okay, I'm not the enemy anymore? I don't know. I don't know that I, I, I didn't really think about it too much. Uh, you know, I think even after the first couple games last year that people, everybody kind of had a, a, like a, like a, like an aha moment, like, a, okay, there's something happening here. And, and, you know, everybody was still in a little bit of a wait and see mode and, and waiting to, to, you know, let time in a bigger sample size determine exactly what they thought. But, but it was pretty easy to see with our team at the beginning of last year that, that there was something special happening. And, and so as time went on, I think this became a really hard team not to root for and not to appreciate. And, you know, we're really hopeful that we can, can build on that and, and continue to, to show all the reasons why, you know, we want to be one of the premier clubs in, in this league. So I'm really glad that we had you on the show because I talk a lot about MLS and the state of MLS and where it is in its, in its development because I'm a huge American soccer fan and I want to see it succeed. I want our domestic league to succeed. And you're an American-born soccer player and you yeah. ended up you know, playing 14 seasons in MLS. And so you saw championships in D.C. with United. You played for the Chicago Fire. You played for Chivas USA. And now you're in New York with the Red Bulls. Where do you feel the state of the league is right now? Because I think there's a lot of positives, but there's some concerns about maybe overexpansion and some other things in MLS. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, the, the concerns that you mentioned are valid. Uh, but I certainly think that if I look back over the last 20, 21 years and see the growth, um, see the stadium, see the, the, the fan commitment, I think that's, that's what's really driven all of this is that now you have a generation of people who grew up with MLS and grew up watching MLS. So I get a lot of 25-year-olds that come up to me and say, you know, I, my dad took me to watch you play when, we were, when I was a kid and I remember this game. And I, and I mean, it makes you feel a little bit old and it can be slightly depressing. But at the same <laughs> time, that's, that's what we've needed, right? We needed time to develop our true fans and, and, a, and a loyal fan base that, that grew up with this. And so... You know, that's what you see now. Now you see the passion in the stadium has been built in over years. And I think that, you know, now now even when the next generation comes around and the generation after that, that, that this won't just be a, a new sport that, that has strong roots in, in, you know, European cultures. But I think it'll really start to become an, an American sport. And I think when, when the more that that happens, the more talent that you'll see come out. And, and, you know, even with the expansion and with the challenges we have, you know, even when you look at the the Concacaf Champions League in the last week, uh, you know we still have a long ways to go, but we've we've made huge strides. And if 
20 years from now, if we can if we can progress as much as we have in the last 20, we'll be in a really good place. So talking about stadiums, I mean, you guys play in one of the best, if not the best, in all of MLS. I mean, Red Bull Arena is extraordinary. If you haven't, haven't ever been to a soccer match there, it's extraordinary, really. And, you know, what used to be Livestrong Park and now Sporting KC Park is is incredible as well. From your standpoint, that type of facility, those types of facilities, what does that do for credibility globally for this league? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, you're right about Red Bull Arena. It's phenomenal. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of people, if they don't, because, you know, Red Bull hasn't has made the strategic decision not to rent the stadium out for concerts and, and other events. So it means that, you know, the way to come watch a game and the only way to come to the stadium is to watch a game. So... Maybe people haven't had access to it, but it is an incredible venue, and it's an incredible place to watch a soccer game. The sight lines, the seats, uh, you know, the, the the having the awning, the noise, the atmosphere. You know, the the New York City games we had last year were some of the most incredible soccer experiences I ever had, and that would include coaching at the World Cup and watching big time European matchups. So, you know, I mean, the that kind of environment it it also brings intensity on the field, and I think it brings out the best in us coaches it brings out the best in players so you know the more that we can have these kinds of venues have these kind of rivalries enrich the sport in our communities like that's why i say i think the future in this sport is is incredibly bright there was a question about adding another team to new york city if it would siphon off fans from you guys if the market could support two mls teams and having gone to uh, the game that you guys played against NYCFC at Yankee Stadium, having been to Red Bull Arena, feels like there's enough room in this town for two teams and maybe it even stirred passion even more. Was it actually a good thing with two clubs in MLS here in New York City? Yeah, I think it, I think it really elevated Red Bull. Uh, I think that you know we, we knew that with New York City coming in that that we didn't have any room for a margin of error, that we had to get things right right away. We had to be driven from a marketing standpoint, from a club perspective, from a team perspective. It was a lot of pressure, I think, that, but, but that was a good thing, you know. And, and I think New York City has, has uh, benefited from, from having, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, another established team in the, in the area. You know, and even New York Cosmos are in, the, are in the second division, and, you know, they've done a really good job there. They've won some championships. They have a really good following. So, you know, it's, it, it really felt like the past two summers, one with the World Cup and then this past summer with, with the New York City uh, Red Bull rivalry, it, you really start to see that New York is definitely a soccer town. And you see the energy behind it. You see the energy behind the game. I mean, now when I walk the streets of New York City, I see so many jerseys. I see Red Bull jerseys, foreign team jerseys. And, you know, I think that, again, uh, the more that we can tap into this and the more that we can provide venues for people to express their passion for the game, I think the better it's going to be. Finally, Coach, there's been a movement in MLS, which I think is a really healthy one, and that is to get former players of the league, such as yourself, younger guys that still connect with that generation of players. You're not much older than some of your players on the sideline, and it's worked for a lot of clubs. I worked alongside the New England Revolution when they hired Jay Heaps, and that really helped turn things around there as well. So what is it about guys that have played in this league and are not far disconnected from playing in the league that helps, I think, connect with the players and maybe elevate what, what the team is able to accomplish? Well, I do think that our league is unique in terms of 
you know, compared to foreign leagues in terms of what the travel is, what the, the makeup of the league is, what the style of the play is. Um, and so it does help if you have been around this league and understand how it operates, understand how the rules work, and understand what the games are like. So, you know, you've seen a lot of players now who were really good captains for different clubs and great leaders as players and now, you know, and, and played for good coaches now start to develop their own leadership style and their own coaching style and, and attempt to apply it to their club and their teams. And I think it's a good thing. And I think, you know, when I look at different coaches around the league, I, I, I like what Ben Olsen has done in, in D.C. and, and the, the identity that they've built there, what Jay Heaps has done in New England, certainly what Greg Berhalter has done in, in Columbus. Uh, you know, and so uh, you, you see some ex-players that – that are creating something unique, and, and I think that's good for our league. The more that teams have identities, I think the better the matchups are and the more fun and, and compelling it is for fans. So here's my one request to you. You know, before I was in this time slot a couple of years ago, I was able to play with a bunch of your guys from the front office, all right? And all right. so the guys from the grounds crew and the front office and, and the stadium operations, Dan Merritt has those guys balls playing down at Brooklyn Bridge Park. If you ever need anybody on the depth chart, you look to him first. He's the captain. If you guys need to pull somebody up for a random friendly or something like that, look at the grounds crew, the stadium ops, the front office. They got some players over there, Coach. All right, man. We had, you know, we had a uh, a front office tournament uh, last fall where, like, you know, there was like 140 people from the Red Bull from our from our front office and from our team side, all all uh, enter into a tournament. And yeah, I saw. Listen, the one thing we don't lack is competitiveness <laughs> <laughs> across the entire organization from yeah, top to that's bottom. For sure. That's- <laughs> Last year's MLS Coach of the Year, Jesse March, leads the Red Bulls after a Supporters' Shield last season and a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, he was MLS's Coach of the Year. They finished with the best record in MLS. Coach, this was a lot of fun. Good luck in this upcoming season. You know what? I'm gonna think. I think we're gonna have to catch up again later on in the campaign. Awesome, DA. Thanks a lot for having me, man. All right, thanks to Jesse Marsh, head coach of the New York Red Bulls, and Mraz joins me now. Mraz, I was out on Friday in Forgot Leave, out on Monday in Forgot Leave. I know this is a tough time of year for you because you're trying to pick up the pieces with a lot of different uh, guest hosts, and I'm going to be out for Gottlieb, I think, another eight times this month. Yeah, March is, uh, has become a tough time for me as a producer, but hey, we're going to have to power through. You're a big shot now. You've fallen on hard times here as a producer because you've got <laughs> Kincaid some days, you've got uh, Chris Moore some days. They no, no rhythm. I got no rhythm. But they it. haven't really shoehorned anybody else into those guest hosting spots. Like JJ used to do it, Berman used to do it. That's not happening Even anymore. a Jody Mack. Yeah, they haven't uh, a Filippone. They haven't gone down that route, which I guess is good. Two is you know, better than five or six, but it's still difficult because I'm having you here in between. So I'm doing three hosts and within one week, it makes things a little different, a little more challenging. I feel like for the listeners, they must feel as though their children caught in a uh, in a divorce proceedings, or oh, uh, yeah. you know, their parents are split up because they're getting me like three days a week, and then they're getting somebody else two days a week. I imagine it's frustrating. I get a ton of tweets, you know, because either people love the fill-in hosts or or they hate them. There's no in between. No, like, oh yeah, this is a fun show. It's either hey, this guy did a great job filling for Da, or hey, this guy stinks, Mraz, you know. As if I have any pull or anything, you know, to do with any of the, you know, scheduled hosts. Yeah, you don't have much pull. I mean, I guess if you went into our boss's office and you were like, look, this guy is grinding me down to a nub and I can't work with him anymore and he stinks, they they would probably listen, right? 
Uh, I mean, I don't. I don't That's a good question. Like, I don't know. I how mean, much pull do you think you would have if you went in there and you said, "I cannot work with this guy"? I truthfully think I have little to none. I really, really, I really do. I think they would have said, told, I, "I think it would have been, hey, you know, I appreciate you coming in here, but suck it up. This is what we got to do." Huh? You know, I don't think I would have been blasted out of the room, but I think I would have been told nicely that I just wasted my breath. That being said, I don't have a problem with Chris Moore or John Kincaid, so that will not be happening. No, I know you actually like them both. Yeah, I do. I get along with them very well. The only problem is. They're normally both down an ISDN line. They're not in oh, front of yeah. you. Sometimes more is because he lives in Connecticut, so he'll sometimes come down to New York City. But for the most not part, often. Yeah, well, he's up in Connecticut usually. How much more difficult is it? I know just as a host myself. I mean, going down the line from an ISDN line, like when I've done it out of uh, out of market, like when we we're on Super Bowl Radio Row, or when I've done it out of the QAM studios in Miami, or I've done it uh, in Kansas City. Right. It's it's really difficult from a host standpoint because you just have no face-to-face interaction. Yeah, that would be my biggest issue, too. I think the show suffers in a way. Not that the shows are horrible, but they're just not as good as they can be because there's a disconnect. There is. I mean, you could talk to each other down the line and breaks all you want, but I, there's no body language between each other. You know what I mean? Like when we're looking at looking at you or whatever, like sometimes you could have a feel, make a drop or something like that, or you're waving hand signals when you want cues, something like that. We don't have that. So there's less cues, there's less, and it's more of just, hey, talking, and like he'll physically cue you in when he wants you or something like that. I mean, you know, by verbally saying something, it's just, it's a different show. Much like, as you've mentioned with me booking guests, how much better does it sound when a guest is in studio as opposed to on the phone? You know, there's there's that. There's something about yeah. tangibly having a person in front of you. I would also say, at least for me, I know when I'm here, I have um, the, the the toy box here right oh, so yes I've got, you do. I've got the drops and i know i can talk down the line or i can talk over the microphone but it doesn't go out over the air about what we should play next and i can't do that on on the road no yeah we're either relying on text messages or g-chats and those are obviously delayed and you're getting those a little behind or you know who knows anything because you're not gonna have the phone on loud during the show anyway having to go off in front of a microphone but yeah it's just it's a different it's a different beast it's a different animal i think the see, quality is lessened see that's what's so interesting about the future of this business is because it's becoming less and less important. It's less and less vital to be in a radio studio. Right. Right, because everybody... People are getting studios at home. Yeah. Now everybody can build a studio at home for probably $1,000 or so. Mm-hmm. You can build what sounds to, to be... I'm, I'm guessing... I don't know. Does Kincaid do it from 680 the game? He does, but I believe he also has some kind of setup at home, I believe. But he he, he likes going to the studio. He's a man of the people, I guess, down there. And so he, like I said, no over there. Chris Moore does it from home, right? No, no, no. He does it from uh, a station in Hartford. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, I'm trying to... There is a host that definitely does it from... I know Pharrell's home studios. I, he's here tangibly, but there's yeah. been times... I don't think he's ever done it from home, though. I think he has during snowstorms a couple times. Oh. During, maybe they're in the first couple of years. Yeah. So not, not recently, but yeah. I mean, he he has that ability if he wanted to. See, I've I've always feared that. Now, in, in my... In my vision of the future, I'm like, that would be so cool to live wherever you wanted. It doesn't have to be next to a city, near anything. You just have a studio in your home. You build it out. You have a couple of microphones. You have your computers or whatnot, and you soundproof it. And wherever you are, you do your show. Unfortunately, I don't think CBS would ever let me do that. They've basically forced all of the hosts here to make sure they're in New York unless you're Jim Rome. Right, exactly. And Even Doug had to ship back across the country and get over here. Yeah, and then I think the second part is, as interesting as that sounds, I don't think the show would be as good. No, I think I think quality of show absolutely suffers on an ISDN line. And maybe it doesn't suffer enough where, you know, people of the higher power 
you know, matter or, you know, care enough to force people, you know, to come in. But uh, that's my opinion. I think a show is always better when somebody's tangibly in front of you. I've, I, you know, I've had hosts at local stations that built into part of their deal. I'm just going to do it from home. And so talk about not being a people person either. You just want to be a shut in at home in the underwear with the Captain Crunch and turn on the mic. Basically. And you can kind of hear that. You can kind of hear that. If you go to a radio studio like Kincaid going to Atlanta or Chris Moore going to Hartford or obviously Jim Rome is in a radio studio, no matter where you are, it there's a level of decorum and professionalism you're naturally going to have. Right. But if you're doing it from home in your underwear with a bowl of cereal, I think it starts getting sloppy and you can hear it on the air. I think you're going to sound lazier and you may not think it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You right. Definitely. I know I would. I'd be sitting there with the stained pajamas. <laughs> Probably a case of lupa in front of me, something like that, and I, I would be a mess if I had the host from home. Could this be drive time in Grand Rapids? You doing it from home? <sighs> Boy, <laughs> tell you, it gets cold, right? Those snowstorms in Grand Rapids. If I'm hosting in Grand Rapids in my underoos, that's not going to be good, and it'll probably be underoos with holes in it. I'd assume. I uh, guess. Guess what? Uh, th- today, I had a student at Stanford call me up. He had emailed me the other day. He's doing a story on our friend John McClain. Oh, Houston Chronicle, the bad girl, Damon. Houston Chronicle, that's right, longtime uh, NFL writer. He is, uh, the student, is a longtime Texans fan. Uh, I guess, I guess, yeah, Texans. Can you be a longtime Texans fan? Well, it, it, when it when it came out of my mouth, it didn't sound right, but he's in college, so let's assume he's 20 years old. Yeah, eight, 10 years old. How the long Texans are 15 years old now, right? Or 02. So, so 14. 14. That's crazy. Yeah, so... Boy, David Carr took a beating a long time ago. If you're 20 years old, they've been around since you were six. So that's your team. That's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah. So so he called me up. He's a longtime uh, uh, John McClain fan, too. So he called me up, and he wanted to ask me questions about John McClain. I'm like, absolutely. Ask me anything you want. And he said, what's your most memorable moment of having John McClain in the show? What else could it be but him having a bit part in Spring Breakers, the movie, which you actually saw in the theaters. Right. No fault to John, but I wish I got my money back. (laughs) And he played a judge that sent Selena Gomez to jail, prison camp. (laughs) I mean, I forget because the movie wasn't that good. I mean, John, his part was excellent. Uh, I think she had some kind of summons and was, you know, I think she might have been bailed out. And he gave us the infamous drop. She's a bad girl, Damon, because I guess it was not about Selena Gomez. Who was the other one in it? The other chick, the Disney chick? The Wizards of Waverly Place. Does that sound right? Whoever. Selena Gomez and uh, <laughs> I think there was a blonde girl. We're idiots. I, it's somebody who's like a big actress, too. Yeah. It's not Demi Lovato. I don't not, know. Hang on. Oh, boy. In real time here, let's look up the chicks from... Uh, well, this is what a podcast is good for. Right. Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers. Selena Gomez. Right. Who was in this? Oh. Selena Gomez. And what did it get on Rotten Tomatoes? question it was way too rotten i mean not a good scene it got 66 percent of rotten tomatoes uh the the tomato meter but the audience score only gave it a 38 percent who liked it fair that sounds about right that sounds about right uh selena gomez vanessa hutchins that's right vanessa hudgens so it was about vanessa hudgens and uh he said you know vanessa hudgens has been a disney cat a disney girl you know, Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. But in this movie, she's a bad girl, Dan. And she was. But talk about a career that took a tumble after that movie. Yeah, Gomez is still going. She's putting out good music these days. I don't know what happened to Vanessa Hudgens. I think Vanessa Hudgens was one of the people whose nudes leaked. 
Remember that, like, two yes, years ago? Yes, good think one. since then, she's gone into hiding. We haven't heard from her. No, but you know what? We're wrong on this. She what? She was just in Greece live. Is that a thing? Yeah, remember I said I really wanted to kind of see it? Not I really wanted to see it, but Grease Live got that huge rating and had that big night on TV. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess good. She made a cameo. That good for the, her. That was the only thing. Welcome back, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you had to stop to talk oh. to one of our engineers. Yeah, hold on. All right, let's wrap. They got to set this up. Okay. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're up to the time anyway. We're at like 15 minutes. Okay. You got James Ward coming up? <laughs> Live radio. Yes, I have James Ward coming up as the engineer needs the studios. PGP number 81. This is it. This is side B right now. All right. Welcome into side B of the Permission Granted podcast as we really have hit March full swing here. Beautiful weather here in the Northeast. Joining me is associate producer of the DA show, producer of Sunday Morning Football. We don't have Joe D today. We go back to the well with Jimmy James Ward. James, how are you? I'm doing well, and you know it is March because I'm doing this podcast from outside. So I'm actually standing outside with bare feet talking to you right now. That's tremendous. I hope the neighbors don't call the cops if you get a little loud here. Wait, I got a loud phone phone voice, so anything's possible. <laughs> well, the reason I wanted to bring you in here, uh, and I think this is a little interesting for Side B, instead of talking about Joe D's exploits or uh, you know Berman passing gas or anything like that, we're both into two of the more popular shows on TV right now. And quite frankly, with, with football now over, I know we have a lot to go on March Madness, NFL Free Agency. There's a lot more time to watch, uh, you know, television shows out there, if you will. And I know two shows were pretty wrapped up in our Better Call Saul and People vs. OJ. Now, I want to give everybody a little spoiler alert here. If you ha- we are, We're only going to talk about the first two episodes of Better Call Saul and the first five episodes of the People vs. OJ. So if you haven't seen them and you're worried about talking about them, I'd, I'd abort now, but if you're interested in those shows, you want to hear our thoughts, stick with us. James, People versus OJ, let's get right into it, because I think we have similar opinions on this. Uh, I think the show, shockingly, I know I know DA on the show kind of, um, when it was first coming out, DA kind of thought it would be real cheesy, the whole deal. I am, I'm very into it. You know what? And again, we've talked about the things that we both don't really like about it. Right, but in general, I'm probably I probably got about five, six, seven shows that I'm watching now that are in season, and it's one of my more favorite ones to watch. It's really enjoyable. The actors are really, really good for Excellent. the most part. Um, the guy that plays Johnny Cochran just steals the show. He's tremendous, and it's it's just a really enjoyable watch. Obviously, the the we remember the the OJ trial from when we were kids, right, and. To, to this date, I mean, even 22 years later, it's still one of the most polarizing moments in our nation's history uh, right. with all the, you know, the craziest trial I think we've ever seen. But the show has really done a good job. It's another show that FX puts together that I think is really awesome. And again, stuff we don't like, but for the most part, it's my favorite show to watch on TV right now. I would agree. It's mine, too, as well. And I, a couple things that will bring up that, that we like about it, or I'll just say this right out of the gate. I like the fact that it is 22 years later. They didn't rush something five years later. And who knows? Maybe they did, and I'm not remembering. But but it's you know, 22 years is enough time has passed where it's you could look back and you forget things. And I was a young kid, so there's a lot of things I didn't realize. You know, I know the nuts and bolts, but there's a lot of things I didn't realize, and this really brings it together. And when you think about it, there's a lot of that younger generation who were babies or toddler. You know. Now 20 years old or something, they go back and watch. They really have no idea all the details on it. So it's a perfect amount of time that has passed that got into it. So I know you probably like from that standpoint, as you've mentioned, I've never really watched a lot of these FX shows. 
But I love that they're not like stuck to like a time constraint. Like it's not okay. We have to get in, get out in fifty minutes, and leave ten minutes for commercials. Like it, it depends. Like one one week was an hour and seven minutes. The, uh, last week was an hour and fifteen minutes. Like I love that they could care less about time. They just want to get the storyline in for that week, no matter what time it is. Yeah, and I don't think. Did you watch Sons of Anarchy? No, right? No, I'm not a Sons of Anarchy. I, I can't say anything bad about. It. I've just never seen it. And not Fargo either. No, right? So those two previous FX shows, and they kind of did the same thing with time constraints. There were some episodes that were an hour, some that were an hour 15, some that were an hour 20, even some that were about 90 minutes. And it's great because they just kind of, they have the story there and they do whatever, it's, it's, they're not you know relegated to 60 minutes of content or 40 minutes of content. So every episode kind of takes you to an end point that makes sense. Right. And it's another thing, the, the legal trial and the proceedings, all that stuff's interesting. I don't remember a lot of that. My memory of the OJ trial was, you know, OJ, former football player, gets arrested. But also this summer that I had for my two favorite teams at the time, 94, with the the car chase during the middle of the Knicks-Rockets NBA Finals. And I thought early on in the season, I think that was what, episode two was the car chase? Right. You really remember where you were at that time. And oh, I was absolutely. only 11 years old, but I remember it like it was yesterday. That that day was crazy, and I like that they, there's little tidbits they touch on. Like that morning, obviously for me, the New York Rangers Stanley Cup parade, but it was also Arnold Palmer playing his last, last U.S. Open, and there's a scene where Darden walks in to visit his father. He had gone home for the weekend when this car chase is about to take off, and Darden knows the car chase is going off, and he turns to his father and he goes, you believe what's going on here? And the father thinks he's talking about Arnold Palmer. So, like, FX did a good job of, like, remembering those little details about the day, and they've done stuff like that through the show, which I think is really cool. Yeah, and now let's get into the things that we don't like right. about the show. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're pretty, I think we're pretty much in, a, in agreement. Cuba Gooding Jr., a great actor. Um, he's had a lot of roles that I really like, but I'm not sure if he's the best possible OJ. He doesn't look like OJ. He doesn't sound like OJ. And the thing that bothers me, and this might be like a minute detail for most viewers, he's tiny compared to the real OJ <laughs> Simpson. I think Cuba Gooding Jr. is about 5'7". I mean, right, everybody the, the towers over. one of the more powerful athletes of his time. So you see him you know, standing next to the guy playing Johnny Cochran, and uh, Bob Shapiro, and, he, and he's like way smaller than them. It just doesn't make sense to me. Which which is pretty crazy when you think about the whole cast, because as you said, the guy playing Cocker and also, like all these guys, they really even Goldman's father, they really make them look like the characters. And even with his mannerisms, um, is it mannerisms or mannerisms? Mannerisms. Mannerisms. Travolta really does play a good Shapiro, I think. But Cuba, it's funny because you think of OJ as like the main character on it. And Cuba, you know, great actor, but yeah, it's just it doesn't strike you as an OJ. No, yeah. no, definitely not. And the voice thing, the voice thing's a little weird. Yeah, you got to. And I know after the first two episodes, obviously the show's based around the OJ trial, but he has his role isn't as as important as it was early on. So I think the more recent episodes have been more enjoyable because OJ's had like a lesser role. Right. Because he, because he's in jail. I mean, how many scenes are you going to show? Right. He's not in those meetings with the, the lawyers and stuff. Right. right. Right, right. Uh, I mean, obviously, and the other thing that we hate, James, I mean, and, and they've gone away from this the last two episodes, but the first three episodes, it was prevalent. The force-feeding of the Kardashian kids as kids into the show was nauseating. Because let's be honest, the Kardashians have a big following. They're, there's a reason they're rich and successful, and that show on E! has run for a long time. Plenty of people watch it. However, it's a polarizing thing. A lot of people hate them and can't stand them. In this, mur- in you know, basically this whole murder, this trial... 
Robert Kardashian was obviously very good friends with OJ, the whole deal, so he has to be... Pre- but the way they force-feed the kids in there for no reason, like at the funeral, uh, they have Kris Jenner yelling at the kids and yells out all the names, and then, uh, you know, even when OJ threatens to kill himself before the chase, Schwimmer says, oh, you're gonna... Don't kill yourself in my daughter's room, and then doubles down and goes, this is where Kimmy sleeps. It, a lot of that was just, uh, like, you don't need it. Why even put that in there? And I guess they put that in there because, like I mentioned earlier, you have that young generation of 20-somethings who don't don't really remember it, but maybe are, are you know, with the Kardashians are into that, and then maybe this is like, oh, look what they were like at kids, you know? Yeah, and the the dumb one for me was the Kardashian chant. I mean, come on. Oh, really? God, Kardashian. It's just ridiculous. And I have a million-dollar idea. I don't know if I've told you this, and I kind of I think it's already been someone else's million-dollar idea because I think it exists. Okay. So you know all these apps that you have for your phone? I have a perfect app. Right. It's called Block Kardashian. So you install into your phone and it blocks any sort of news having to do with any of the Kardashians. So that's how much of a disdain I have for the Kardashians. So that part really, really bugs me. But it's they've gotten away from it. I think that early on they kind of used it to establish the characters, which I think is okay. But the last, I think, two episodes, it hasn't really been a big part of it, which I really enjoy. Which, thankfully, I yes. like the show and it just gives me a little sour taste. Yeah, so I'm glad they've gotten away from that. Now, I know we've gone a little long on The People versus OJ, but we want to get to a show that we disagree on wholeheartedly, and that would be the show Better Call Saul, which is now in its second season, which any Breaking Bad fan I'm sure is watching or is into. I know some have aborted, some love it, the whole deal. James, I know you absolutely love it. I know Rich Ackerman, who works here, loves it. I find this show extremely boring. I find this show to be basically ruining the legacy of Breaking Bad, I'm sticking with it. I know Adam Klug, the producer, Doug Gottlieb, feels the same way. Joey Waller, Breaking Bad News of Waller, has totally aborted Better Call Saul. So you've watched the first two episodes of season two. Do you love it more or are you starting to come to my side? No, I love it. I think oh. it's still one of my favorite shows on TV. I think your problem with it, with Better Call Saul, you're not smart enough to understand No, it. no, 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 no. I'm very there's bright. There's too much dialogue. There's not enough juice there for you because there's not there, a there's, lot of action. There's not it's a lot of action. but talking and character development the whole time. And I just don't but, I think you got to dumb it down for old Shawnee. No, don't you don't think, have to dumb it down. You don't have to dumb yet. it down. You just have to make the dialogue interesting. I can watch shows where people talk. You don't have to dumb it down for me. I'm not a dummy, okay? The bottom line is this. There's nothing interesting happening. And, and you just mentioned a key word, character development. You already spent one whole season developing characters. Mind you, on a show where the main characters were already developed because it's a spinoff of another show, why in season two are we still developing characters? Could we get the train rolling and make something interesting happen? See, I think they spent a lot of time last season developing the characters. The right. show was very successful, so they kind of slowed it down a little bit. They realized they only have a finite time period which to deal with before Better Call Saul becomes Saul, Saul Goodman and he stops being Slippy Jim, Slippin' Jimmy. Right, but which I enough for the Slippin' Jimmy. On purpose, they're slowing down the show. So they want it to kind of develop and and you know become this you know magnus opus or whatever because they, they want it but to be this. But that's silly to me. That's silly. But, you know why? So you could get an extra season out of it or whatever it amounts to be? Like, that, that's a waste of time. That's fluff. You, so you didn't like... All right. To, and this part I will give you. The solo character this season hasn't been as interesting. Uh, the Mike. Mike has been way more interesting. So you haven't liked the story with the... Um, with the, the drug dealer and the Hummer and Mike and then him yeah, getting robbed. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. And I, and I love Mike. It was brilliant. That whole storyline was amazing. 
Yeah, but it was almost unnecessary. Like, we understand that Mike's doing these jobs. You know what I mean? It's, but it's more the character development and showing you how Mike becomes the guy that, that he is. Because before this, he wasn't really involved in any sort of illegal crime. He's just turning to being this bodyguard because it's what he has to do. Right. So it's so, sort of the beginning of that character. Well, I could say this. I've seen episode three and not, you know, this isn't a spoiler, but they start to get more into the Mike stuff, which was semi-interesting. But again, like, when it's better call Saul and the show's supposed to be based around the Saul. Oh, I mean, we got to get something cooking here. We got we got to speed up the process. I will give you that. The Mike character has been a lot more interesting than the Saul character. It's it's he's a lot more interesting right now. But I'm still loving the show. I love the dialogue. I think it's got it's got terrific depth. The, the characters are great. Terrific depth, like it's the '85 Bears defense. <laughs> hey, one through nine. I mean, I'll tell. I'll say this. I'm happy. Through in nine, se- there's no automatic outs in the lineup. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy in season two that we've seen less of the brother in the aluminum tinfoil suits. I mean, oh, yeah, enough. I agree with you on that. That character was a little played out. Here's but here- I, the the problem with spinoffs is you're comparing it to Breaking Bad, which was like completely developed, you know, excellent, one of the best shows of all time, and like there were. How well, many episodes? Gonna, there were 60, 70 episodes. But of course, of course you're going to uh, compare it's it. It's a new show. It's different. It's the same characters, but it's a different show. Yeah, so okay. you got to give it a little bit of patience. I mean, I, no, listen, did, I am. I'm sticking watch, with it. Did you watch Breaking Bad when it aired, or did you watch it on Netflix? Uh, no, I bought the series, like, and I okay. went back and watched it that way. So I watched Breaking Bad when it aired, and the first season, I wasn't in love with it. The second season, I was, I was still kind of eh about it. The first season was only six episodes. I think the second season was only seven episodes. Right. It took a long time to develop. Right, and maybe once and it maybe got I, running, it really got there. Well, that's my hope. And here's the thing. They've started each of the first two seasons of Better Call Saul with that, with the, you know, he's at the uh, Cinnabon in Omaha, which if you watch Breaking Bad and he goes into whatever, the, the fake witness protection that he has some guy hook him up with, he mentions that if with any luck he'll end up running a Cinnabon in Omaha. So you know he ends up there. So that's the hope that eventually you're going to get further resolution to Breaking Bad. Like, I just hope that I don't stick with this and then all of a sudden the series just stops when he meets Walter White. That would stink. No, I think that because the show, I think, is getting very good ratings. I mean, you might not like it, but I think the critics like it. So it, the show's going to go on for a while. Which is, so by I the way, there's going to be. And if you look at the the way that Breaking Bad was written, Breaking Bad is the only show that I can remember that at the end of the finale there are no loose ends. The writers took care of everything. The whole last season was perfect. So I think you just got to give it some credit. Just stick it out. I know it's a little bit slow right now. You want a little bit more action. They, there's not a lot uh, of it. I think it's going to get there. The, in the second half of the second season, better get going. Although, if they head into season three, season three and they're starting character development again, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to freak out. And, I'll, and I'm a little bit behind on it because I've been watching it with my girlfriend and she's been traveling a lot for work. She loves the show and she is a very tough TV critic. She basically doesn't like any shows right now that are on TV. And Better Call Saul is the one show that she really likes. See, that's interesting. See, my wife loved actually the first season. She was really into Love Breaking Bad. She is now aborted after the two episodes and told me to finish on my own. She can't take it anymore. Wow. And, and, and to her credit, she loved it while I was bashing it the first season. So that's where we're at. Now, is she, because I, I mean, we've had lots of conversations about this show. I know you're a hater. You've almost made me question my opinion of it. So Good. So maybe swayed by your negative opinion of the show? Uh, no, because I, I, do, I don't comment while the show is on. Like, after the show is on, I, I say my piece. She's the one after the show, like, oh, I can't even keep my eyes open watching this anymore. Like, one of those deals. Really? 
Yeah. Uh, I find that. I do not see that at all. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's you're, You have Ack with your side. I have Klug with my side. I don't exactly know if either one's a better fit. To have backing yeah. us, backing us here. But um, all right. So we're gonna wrap here. I know we went uh, we went a little longer than usual here on side B. But if you have any comments or opinions on uh, on Better Call Saul or People versus OJ, why don't you check out James on Twitter at James Ward CBS and check me out on Twitter at Mraz CBS. Uh, we both are fans of the show, so if you guys are into these shows, hit us up on Twitter and uh, and thanks for listening. Guys. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.